Let's turn to the book of Joel, Joel, Joel. If I, I think I said this uh, first, the first week, if I, if I say the book of Joel, you might think I'm, I'm saying Joe, and there's no book of Joe, but uh, Joel there is. So, <laughs> in Hebrew it's Yoel. And uh, this evening we're going to finish the last five verses of chapter 2. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, if you're following along in the Hebrew Bible or the Hebrew Scriptures, we're going to finish chapter 3 because those five verses constitute the f- third uh, chapter of the book of Yoel. There's four chapters in the Hebrew uh, Scriptures. There's three in the English. And once again, let's, let's uh, just begin by reading verses 28 down through 32, verse 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. In our two previous studies of this passage, what, as I said, what is considered to be chapter 3 of Joel's prophecy, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, our, uh, our focus was really upon verses 28 and uh, 29. The promise that in the last days the, the Lord would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile, with the distinction being believers, Jewish and non-Jewish, and yet affecting the many. For indeed it said at the end of this particular passage, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, or as when Peter quoted from the book of Joel in the book of Acts chapter 2, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that promise was begun to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but would also be extended to fall upon our time as well. So it's important to note that it was not completely fulfilled at the time of uh, the, the day of Pentecost when the church received the, uh, the blessing of the uh, promise, which was, of course, the Holy Spirit that came upon the 120 that day on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. It wasn't really a a complete fulfillment at all. But as I said, it extended. It's a a promise that has extended to our time as well. And that it comes especially before the great and the terrible day of the the Lord come, as, as it says there, in uh, verse 31. 
Now, we're dealing with the day of the Lord as that seven-year period of tribulation that is marked out very clearly by, by the book of Daniel, by Daniel himself, Daniel the prophet, marked out for us very clearly as a seven-year period of time. But it is also called in Jeremiah chapter 30, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, as I mentioned in, in the end of our study last time, we would, we would be examining today the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to the nation of Israel in the last days, especially during the day of the Lord. So we've covered already verses 28 and 29, and today we're going to look at verses 30 through 32. So to establish then the foundation of today's study, I want to look at a passage in Jeremiah's prophecy, that very passage where we see that phrase mentioned, the time of Jacob's troubles, Jeremiah 30. So just reading the first nine verses as, as a foundational passage here for us to, to take hold of the things that we're going to be looking at here in, in Yoel. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So if you remember now, before we go on, that, that Israel and Judah had been separated. They became a divided nation, and there were two nations then, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So what we are hearing from the prophet as the Lord is speaking to him is that he's saying there's going to come a time when I'm going to bring again the captivity of my people. And notice he says Israel and Judah. Not so much separated as they had been when they were uh, taken into captivity, the northern kingdom by the, the Assyrians and the southern kingdom by, by the Babylonians. So this is pointing to a, a future time. And he saith that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers. And they shall possess it. Now, that could have meant, uh, that, that, that could mean that, that that was the time of their returning back into the land after their seven years of Babylonian captivity. But this, this goes far beyond that. When you look at the next passage, it says, And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For once again, we see them linked together. The idea is that they're not going to be separated any longer after all of this time. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Well, what, does, what distinguishes Israel today, being now back in the land as they are, and what we see happening in the world. Well, we see a tremendous hatred toward Israel today, don't we? In fact, it's in our news today. An anti-Semitism, and it's not anti-Semitism that we normally see in other parts of the world. It's in our own country. So we can talk about that more. But this is the voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. What is it that Israel has been seeking for all this time? Peace. Peace with their neighbors. But their neighbors have only one idea in mind, and most of them at least, and 
that would include also those who are there to destroy them, you know, the terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. But then in verse 6 it says, Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Now this, this, is, a, this is a prophetic marker. Whenever we see the language that talks about a travail with child. Now, normally we would consider women in labor. Here's a man in labor. Uh, which is kind of an interesting picture. We've talked about it before. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all faces are turned into paleness. Signs of the times are telling us that we are headed towards some great time of, of, of suffering, a great time of, of uh, contention, distress. Jesus himself, called, uh, Jesus himself called it distress of the nations. We'll get, we'll get to that soon enough. And then we see in verse 7, alas, for that, for that day is great, that day being the day of the Lord, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. And once again, in, 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 in the terms of prophecy, we need to understand that the seven years of tribulation is not about the church, it is about Israel. It has always been about Israel, those last seven years. And again, I, I, I draw your attention back to the book of Daniel, especially chapter 9 where we studied that very, very uh, clearly and very detailed. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Praise the Lord. That's a nice thing to see, you know, in the scriptures. You know, they're going to go through this time, but they're going to be saved out of it. Ha, good. But notice what he goes on to say. It says, for it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off, his, uh, off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. When will they serve David their king? In the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. In Jerusalem, in Zion, in Israel, for a thousand years. Right after the seven years of tribulation. So this prophecy goes far beyond the events of the immediate exile and the return from Babylonian captivity. And an even greater tribulation awaits Israel prophetically. If we go on, let's look at the next two verses there in Jeremiah. It says, Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest be quiet and none shall make him afraid for I am with thee saith the Lord to save thee what an assuring word God gives to his people for I am with thee saith the Lord to save thee though I make full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee I'm going to judge these nations we know that much of the judgment that is going to come is going to be a judgment of nations but then notice this, yet will I not make a full end of thee. In other words, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to destroy you. But I will correct thee in, in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Well, we know from the book of Daniel that uh, they have gone through 483 years of captivity. 
which leaves seven years. Those seven years are hanging in, in time for, for the Lord to finish what he says he's going to finish with them. Bring an end to that, that chastisement. Bring an end to their sin. And then he is going to bless them. Now what these passages are telling us is that God's unconditional promise that he made to Abraham cannot be broken because it was a unilateral covenant. The covenant that God had made with Abraham from the very beginning was not a covenant that is dependent upon what Abraham did. It is all dependent upon what God said he would do. And he took the whole covenant to himself. That's why it's called a unilateral covenant. It's kept by one side. In Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. Now the angel of the Lord in this, in this particular case could, be very, could very well be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we see what he says in verse 16. And, and he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, speaking of Abraham who took Isaac up to Mount Moriah in obedience to the Lord, to offer him up as a sacrifice. He says that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. That nation would be the nation by which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The seed of Abraham. Now, you can also add those who are the seed of Abraham by faith. Or indeed, even the Apostle Paul speaks about that in the book of Romans. So based on this covenant, the nation of Israel must eventually be saved and remain as the elect nation and people of God, as Paul writes about in Romans chapter 11. Speaking of Romans, Romans 11, verses 25 through 29, where it says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Now, what has he been speaking about for the last three chapters, which is chapters 9 through 11? He's been speaking about Israel. It is one of the most detailed passages, theological passages and doctrinal passages about Israel in any of the writings of the New Testament. And so he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles. Now we can certainly uh, define that in many different ways, very broadly, or you know, we can even get very specific. But nonetheless, from the standpoint of just the, the broadness of it is, is, is prophetically, that the time, the fullness of the Gentiles will be come in when it is finally time for the Lord to take his church out of the way in what we call the rapture of the church. We can come back to that at another time. 
Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved, as it is written. And once again, now, you know, we, we would like to believe that all, 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 meaning all and everyone that's ever been uh, a part of, of the nation of Israel, but we also have to understand that there were some in Israel who were not faithful to the Lord, who didn't trust and believe in the Lord. So just because you have the DNA doesn't mean you know, that God was going by DNA. You know, he's going by faith because of, because of Abraham. You know, it begins, it begins with him. So we're not Israel, but we are of Abraham by faith. And Paul is very clear that he's speaking about the nation of Israel. His own people he talks about as he introduces this in chapter 9. So all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. The deliverer being the Mashiach, the Messiah, who is Yeshua, who is Jesus. This is the deliverer. And what we see at the end of chapter 30, uh, the, the end of uh, chapter Two of Joel, in our, and what we're looking at it tonight is what it says: For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. There's only going to be one person that sits on the throne of David, as we've already mentioned, David, the king, that people will be coming to serve. There will only be one sitting on the throne of David. That is Yeshua. That is Jesus. That is the Messiah of Israel. So there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And once again, you cannot lose sight of the fact that here God is saying, Jacob or Israel is still the elect people of God. They're still the ones that he chose. Then he goes on and says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now that last verse there usually can be seen and used quite broadly in a lot of different ways. But in context, it is speaking about the, the calling, the gifts and the calling that God has given to his people and those are without re- repentance because of that unilateral covenant that God said I am going to keep with Israel for Abraham and because of Abraham and his faith so with all of these things in mind then let's consider that the Lord will prepare his people for the end times by giving them warning signs now I have to say that when you look at where we are today in the church and we talk a lot about the warning signs that the scripture is giving us as to what is happening today in, in, uh, from a general sense in the, in the body of Christ and that we have to be very careful what we hear, what we listen to, what we see. Uh, we're, we're given signs as the church. But the signs that we're, that we're seeing here are going to be pointing to the terrifying trouble that is coming to the earth. 
And eventually what the Lord is giving in, 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 in the Hebrew scriptures through the prophets to Israel is what is going to happen in the last days about that seven-year period of time known as the tribulation period. That these are the things that they're going to have to watch out for. We have signs that are pointing us toward that seven-year period of tribulation. But as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as members of the, of, the, of the body of Christ, who Jesus is going to come to take out of the way so that he can uh, continue to take, um, uh, take care of Israel, uh, we're, we see the signs for, for, for another reason, in a sense, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment which is that when we see the signs appearing that are happening today, that are leading toward these things, there are a few things that we as, as believers should do and shouldn't do. But the signs are there for us to learn of, of, of these issues and of these things that are taking place. So with all this in mind, let's, let's consider how the Lord is preparing his people for the end times by giving warning signs and, and again, signs that are pointing to this terrifying trouble that's coming. Verses 30 and 31 of our text in Joel chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be dark, uh, turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now, I don't know that I'm going to be very specific about a lot of these things because sometimes we, we can kind of say, well, this is happening, that may be the blood signs, or this may be the, you know, the, uh, the fire signs, or this might be the pillar of smoke signs, or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to be as specific as maybe we would like to be. But here, here's the thing, though. If, if, you, uh, if you hear about some natural event that's supposed to be happening because, you know, the scientists have said, well, you know, there's going to be some kind of a, a meteor storm happen or, or maybe there's going to be a comet come around that doesn't come around too often, maybe every, you know, 70 years or so, and, and it's going to happen in our time, or maybe there's, there's going to be some kind of an eclipse, you know, that doesn't happen too often. And, and what do we do? Because, because everybody has, a, you know, connection to what's going on in real time in the world. We're always kind of looking for those things. Somebody called me the other day about that one, the, 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 bright, uh, blue, the bright moon, you know, the, the, I forgot what it's called, but they said, the, the moon, you should see the moon, it's so bright. I went out, I mean, it was freezing cold that night. I don't know why I went out there. Maybe that's why I've been sick for five weeks. You know, well, there I go, and I got put on a call, man. So, yeah, it was way up there, and it was really bright. I've seen, this, I've seen the moon bright before, you know. What am I doing going out there? It's crazy, you know. All right. See how we go, you know, with the, see what we do? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Or maybe when we saw the, you know, when we had that, uh, the red, uh, you know, the blood moon, as they were saying. Well, I went out to see that, too, you know. <sighs> okay. So, I mean, you know, those things are going to come, and we're going to get notified about it, and then it's going to be on the news for a while, then it comes and it goes. But they could be signs. From a general sense, they're signs about the time in which we live. And we need to understand these signs. Because notice verse 31, it says, Then the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. Well, this is before the terrible day of the Lord come. We are living in the before 
time. So what we need to understand is that the Lord does not let us fend for ourselves when it comes to living in the last days. He's just not saying, well, listen, guys, you know, I give you my word and you can read it and you can come up with whatever thoughts you want to have on, on, on what these signs mean. I'll just let you, you, you. Hey, I don't want the Lord to do that. So he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just let us fend for ourselves. In fact, it is fascinating. It is fascinating to think that the Lord has given us every opportunity with every warning sign pronounced to prepare for the coming of Jesus, our Messiah. For the coming of Jesus for his church. That's how I see these signs, that they're supposed to wake us up to do one thing, to keep looking up and to lift up our heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. No true believer will ever say, and I hope you heard what I said, no true believer will ever say, I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, if we say that, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to throw something at you. You know, like my, well, I was going to say my Bible, but no, I you know. Maybe I ought to throw your Bible at you because, you know, you, here, read this. It's yours. You need to read what it says, you know. So, but but no, tr- no believer should ever say, I didn't know that was going to happen. But sadly, folks, it's, it, you know, it's, it's it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes to think that, you know, some people don't know what's going on in the world right now. And what's going on in the world right now is going to affect everything. That's going to happen in the last days. And it's affecting it even now. And a lot of that is happening in our own country. I I spent a lot of time when we were in the book of Ezekiel last year, whenever it was, (laughs) it was a while back. But but I spent a lot of time talking about Ezekiel chapters 37, 38, and 39. And and the Ezekiel um, 38, 39 war that we call the, the war of Gog and Magog. And, and letting you know, and, and even at the beginning of this year, in the, in the prophetic updates that we were doing, ma- making mention of the fact that that, that, uh, that alliance between Russia and Turkey and Iran today is exactly what the Bible says is going to be an alliance against Israel in the last days. It's, it's clear. There's, there's no way of, of, of mistaking that. So that is a reality that we ought to, that ought to allow our antennas to perk up. So, time and again, God's word warns us of impending judgment upon the unbeliever. Especially those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What should that do to us? That should get us to tell people about Jesus. We still have that opportunity, don't we? We're believers here. And I don't care what the climate is against believers in our country today. We still need to be the light of the glory of Christ to this nation. And to the people that need Jesus Christ. Every sign that we've received stirs our hearts to be bolder in sharing Christ with others. Whether family or friends or anyone still living in unbelief and sin. I don't, I don't want to leave them there. 
But the time is now. This is not about waiting for something else to happen. The time is now to be the light of the world. The time is now to be the salt of the earth. The time is now, if you will, to be the voice crying out in the wilderness. The Lord is coming. And he's coming quick. You know, the disciples were looking for a time frame. When they were asking Jesus questions, just just at the onset of that week before Jesus went to the cross during the time of Passover. They, they, They were looking for a time frame. And we know this by the questions that they asked Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 24 for just a moment. (laughs) excuse me, and verses 1 through 3. And Jesus went out, it says, and and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you. In other words, truthfully, truthfully I say to you. There shall not be left here one stone upon another. Now that building had to look magnificent. It had to shine. You know, when we, when we drive into Jerusalem on our trips to Israel, uh, the bus drivers, I don't know, they, they just have this timing issue where they know how to get you there right when the sun seems to hit the, you know, that golden dome, which is, of course, the Muslim uh, uh, dome of the rock up there. But... Um, Anyway, it's a, it's a spectacular sight, you know, when the, the sun is shining at a certain angle and you see it, wow, it's, it's just, you know, if you're there for the first time, it's like, you know, you start crying, <laughs> you know, everybody's a crybaby in the bus the first time. But uh, this was the temple that Herod had built. The way he had built it and the way that he fashioned it and the way he put the gold in it, and I mean, just everything about it was spectacular. And it shined. Have you ever been to um, Mount Rushmore? I'm, I'm not going on a rabbit trail, I promise. But have you ever been to, anybody been to Mount Rushmore? If you've been to Mount Rushmore, man, I tell you, that's a beautiful sight, isn't it? And, and the way that, you know, if you're there all day long, which I happen to have been there all day long, you know. Of course, not just looking at it for 12 hours. But, but you know, you go and take tours and whatnot. But every time you looked up, there was, there was just the way the sun hit it, just... You know, it just changed colors, and it, and it just had such a different view. From wherever you were standing, different places, it just looked different. You know, it was really magnificent, you know, the way it was. And then when the sun started to go down, there was colors upon the, you know, the heads of the presidents there, whatever. But this must have been even greater, in a sense, because it was made of that white limestone, you know, and, and, and you know, but anyway. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? <laughs> Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the, upon the Mount of Olives. Now, they're at another vantage point of seeing it. The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when? There's the question. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign? Of thy coming and of the end of the world. When and what 
is the sign. You, you remember that Jesus had said, you know, the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews seek after a sign. A sign. Jesus probably wanted to tell him, you know what? Um, don't ask me about one sign. There's a lot of signs. So the answer that Jesus gave was stated in the present Speaking to them in the present, showing that first, the warnings were being given to the believers of the generation leading to the day of the Lord. So we know then that he's speaking of another time. But nonetheless, listen to what he said. Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. The very first sign, if you want to sign at all, is that men will be deceiving you. About what? About who Jesus is. Because it says, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. But then he goes on to say, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, take notice of this, okay? Because as believers, we need to really do what this says. Where Jesus said, see that you be not troubled. I have to confess, I'm troubled sometimes by the things that I see in this world. I'm troubled when I see thing, you know, the things happening in, in Washington, D.C. today. Troubled by these things. And then Jesus said, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, do you remember what I said about not being troubled? Oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> okay, I won't be troubled anymore. That, that's, that's not only what he said. He said, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. They're going to happen. They have to happen. But then he says this, but the end is not yet. Ah, it's not yet? No, not yet. But don't be troubled. But these things have to happen. Because, they're, they're, you know, the, the people have these questions. You know, and, and, you know, it's interesting how theoretically we say that we believe in prophecy. Theoretically, we say, well, yeah, you know, Jesus said this or that about things that were going to happen, whatever. Theoretically, we believe. But then something happens to go, oh, my God, what's going on in the world, you know? No, Jesus said it was going to happen. You've got to stay in touch with what the Lord Jesus said. You've got to stay in touch with the word of God. He says, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. They're going to come to pass because it isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. But that's okay. The end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Jesus could have said, all these are just the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. Obviously, these are signs. Signs for the present day church. To be stirred or awakened to remain faithful to the Lord and to guard against slipping back into sin. Stay faithful to the Lord. You're going to see these happening. You're going to see these things happening. They're happening right in, in our eyes and in real time.
well, was it just Monday or Tuesday, yesterday? They found bombs in, in London. If you're watching the news, or you, you, know, you kind of keep a, an eye on what's going on throughout the day, which I try to do just to kind of keep my focus on what's going on. You know, three bombs in three different locations in London. Two airports and one other, one other public place. Those little, those little things are not just happenstance. They're all in some way tied together. So these signs will also arouse God's people to be bolder in sharing Christ with friends and family. As I said, we're still in unbelief and sin. And why should we? Because we don't want them to be doomed eternally. We don't want anyone to be doomed eternally. As I said many times, the main sign of these last days is deception, especially about the Lord Jesus himself. And he's making that very clear. Four times in Matthew chapter 24, he uses the term deception or deceive. But Jesus spoke of wars and rumors of wars, nations and kingdoms rising against each other. And then he mentioned, notice this, he mentioned famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are classified as the beginning of sorrows. The earth in its fallen condition has always been subject to natural disasters. Since the very fall of man, this earth is just, you know, in its youngest time, it was probably okay for a long time. But once it hit the uh, second law of thermodynamics, uh, it started to deteriorate little by little, you know. Not over billions of years, okay? Please get that out of your mind. <laughs> but, but natural disasters have happened. Things are wearing away quicker, and nowadays quicker than ever, because we're coming to the end of the time frame that God said. These things are going to happen, and then, and then, and then, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, where righteousness will dwell. So the earth in its fallen condition has always been subject to natural disasters. So, so some of these signs contain, containing things such as fire and smoke point to some natural and some unnatural disasters. The natural ones would be like volcanoes. I mean, they'll, they'll spew out smoke and, <laughs> and fire. But then you have to consider the ones that are not natural like wars. Wars bring a lot of smoke and fire, devastation and death. Add to that the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the droughts and the fires, volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, tsunamis and floods. We, we, we've certainly seen an increase in most of these natural disasters over the last 40 to 50 years. And much more in the last 20 years if you look carefully at all the statistics of all of the things that are happening. It kind of draws a, a line toward where we're headed uh, prophetically. But it is the wonders that is mentioned here in verse 30. And I will show 
Mofet, Mofet in the Hebrew, wonders, signs, miracles. It is the wonders, the Mofet in the heavens that seem to capture the attention of those wanting to see the coming of the Lord. I mean, recently, as I was saying earlier, within the last few years, the earth has been a witness to certain heavenly signs. From the more common falling stars or asteroids seen in the clear evening skies to comets, comets that have passed within eyesight of many earthbound beings. More, more fascinating really are the eclipses that have been seen both in day skies as well as night skies. But Jesus would describe them this way in Luke 21. Now, I would have you turn there because this is, again, a significant passage for us to read right now. It says in Luke 21, verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. There's, there, there's always some alignment of the stars happening. I mean, I'm not talking about this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius and, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, when we were in the 60s, you know, we were singing that song. It, 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 I thought of the words the other day. I said, harmony and understanding. Well, that's abounding. Not very much harmony and understanding going on in this world today. Maybe we should have drank more Coke on the hillsides, you know, and holding hands, you know, drinking Coke. That would have saved us all. <laughs> Excuse me. And notice this, and upon the earth, distress of nations. And I better put it on overdrive here. Upon the earth, distress of nations. Are nations distressed today? You'll know when nations are distressed today when you see the United States of America in distress. There's a lot of distress in this nation today. But notice it is distress of nations with perplexity. And that, and that adds a, 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 just a, another layer of, of, of concern, you know, perplexity. It's like we don't know what's going on. I'm perplexed. And completely without an answer to what's going on. I think this is another reason why Jesus said, hey, don't get distressed. Don't be distressed about these things. The seas and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. There's a lot of that going around today. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming. In a cloud with power and great glory. I'll stop there for just a second. They shall see the Son of Man coming. When the Son of Man comes, if we understand this properly, when the Son of Man comes, he's coming to bring an end to all of this distress. He's coming with ten thousands of his saints. He's coming with those who he initially came to take home.
to be with him for seven years away from this earth because he's coming with power. And great glory, of course, describes the very fact that he's going to be seen. How do you miss the glory of the Lord? See, when he comes for the church, it's going to be kind of in an instant. Uh, the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, you know, that we alone will hear. It was his promise. Paul clarified that and, and supported that in 1 uh, Thessalonians 4. But what Jesus said, of course, in, in, in John 14, verses 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. There's that same thing that he's saying. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you will be also. Don't you want to be where the Lord is? I just want to be where the Lord is. I mean, I know he's with us. Praise the Lord. I know that he's given us his Holy Spirit. I know that he's given us his word. I, 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 I rest assured in the fact that we are safe in God's hands. But I want to be where he is. I want you to be where he is. Because he promised that. So then in verse 28, what Jesus says is this. And when these things begin to come to pass, by the way, that's what we're seeing. The beginning of these things that are coming to pass. We're not in the tribulation period, folks. Which tells us one thing. It's pretty bad right now. It's going to be terrible then. That's how dark the day of the Lord is. That's what we've been saying all along. It's a day of distress. It's a day of, of destruction. It's, it's a day of calamity. It's a day of, of darkness. We think it's bad now. <laughs> so what Jesus is saying to the believer is when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Your redemption draweth near. The fact that he is going to take you, he's redeemed you by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you, he has kept you, and he will continue to keep you for an eternity. So what Jesus is saying here in this passage is, don't be distressed or perplexed as the nations will be. Don't fear and have a failing heart as men will have in these last days. Believers, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged. Be encouraged by what you see. The consummation and the completion of your salvation and hope is about to take place. It is about to take place. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus is coming. Rejoice in the fact that there's going to be that Trumpet call. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. You know, there are so many people today that say, you know, that the rapture doesn't, you know, that it's, 
It's not in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures time and time again. We've examined it. We've seen it. <laughs> and there's just that one little thing that Paul said. Comfort one another with these words. Jesus is comforting us by saying, this is going to happen, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's done. And therefore, don't let your heart be troubled. Therefore, what he says is, look up and lift up your head. Now, that's an interesting thing, you know, as far as... Um, order, you know. Look up and lift up your head. Wait a minute. I already lifted up my head. It's not what he means. You look up, yes, but you lift up your head in faith and in trust and in dependency in God and in Christ and in his word. You look up with confidence that everything that we have studied in God's word is true. We do not have to look down on like, like a lot of people look down today because they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. Christ conquered sin and death on the cross. He conquered sin and death by rising again from the dead. Those things, we have, no, we have nothing to fear any longer of those things. Take, take note of the words of Paul to Titus in Titus 2 verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. All the things that are happening are pointing us to this very thing, living uh, uh, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because of verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. We are to be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. There's redemption. To redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak, he said, and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You stand on the truth of what Christ has said that he's going to do and what he's done already. The prospects are not good for those who will be on the earth during the time of the tribulation period. No matter what part of the seven-year period it is, those who have rejected the gospel of the Messiah and the Messiah himself are going to have to go through this time of tribulation. Read, uh, if you will, with me in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And now we're seeing this within the context of the seven-year tribulation period. And the stars of the heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of, of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the 
mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. They're going to see Jesus on the throne. Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wow. What an interesting combination of words. From the wrath of the Lamb. We look at a lamb. You know. Not this lamb. This is the Lamb of God. Who by the way is also the lion. Of the tribe of Judah. He's, they say hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand in those seven years? That's why we won't be here. Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 to 12. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. <coughs> and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. The third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a, a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. By the way, if you notice the progression of the, of the, uh, the judgments of the tribulation from the seal judgments that were open to the trumpet judgments as they were sounded, and eventually to the bowl judgments, it progressively gets worse. And it started off bad. So don't ever think that the beginning of the tribulation period is a lighter, easier time. It's, it may be lighter, but it's going to increase from there. It goes from bad to worse, not good to bad, bad to worse. So lastly, the Lord will save all who call on him, saving them from the terrifying judgment that is coming to the earth. Let's go back to Joel 2, verses, uh, verse 32, the last verse. <laughs> and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. There's no doubt that the Lord will save all who call on him. I've always loved Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Because Jesus himself is giving an invitation. Where he says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give thee rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And all he's saying is come and call. Call to me. And I'll answer you. That, that's that's a, a statement of, of the Lord from, from the book of Jeremiah, I believe, in chapter 33. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Call upon him. Now, understand that to call on him means to trust him, acknowledging the Lord to, to be the only living and true God who can save any person. Calling on the Lord means that a person acknowledges the Lord as the master of their life. In other words, that person is surrendering their life to be the servant of God. Believing fully in the word of God that saved him just as he promised. Paul, in, in writing to the Romans concerning the prophetic future of the Jewish people, said in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, he said, but what saith it? The, the, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That, that is the word of faith which we preach. That, and we should all know this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's the calling, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Call upon the Lord and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Interesting that we believe unto righteousness and not just believe unto safety. Right? We believe unto righteousness. In other words, our lives are going to change when we come to Christ. Our lives will change. Our direction will change. Our actions will change. Our words will change. Our life will change. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever, there's that word again, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We have nothing to be ashamed about, folks, if we love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing to be ashamed about. In fact, people around us will be more ashamed. You know, because we all know people in the world, and we all have sometimes have connections you know, to people in our jobs or whatever it is that we're doing. And when they know that we're believers in Jesus Christ, man, they try to go the other way. Ooh, here come. And they turn around, go this way and that way. Until when, until they are in trouble and they know that you'll pray for them. Or maybe they'll come and say, you know, can you help me with something? This is why we should always be ready to give an answer to every man according to the hope that lieth within us. That's what Peter said. To give an answer. Look at verse 12. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So you can be a Jew, you can be a Gentile, but you can call upon him and the Lord will answer and the Lord will heal, the Lord will deliver and the Lord will save. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul uses that passage here. From Joel. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. There's no doubt again that the Lord being spoken of here is Jesus himself. For even in 1 Corinthians, Paul would write uh, in verse 2 of chapter 1, unto the church of God which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, notice this, with all that in every place call upon the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. So he says, listen, we're to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, who's the Lord? Jesus. That's good to know, isn't it? And as I've mentioned earlier, the passage speaks of the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Israel in the last days. And so the kingdom was being offered once again to Israel. Peter cautioned and reproved the people to repent, to receive the promised spirit in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. When he said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the remission and forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized every one of you. What would it take to repent? To call upon the name of the Lord. What does it take to repent? To confess something. And in effect to confess the Messiah. And here's the promise, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so the whosoever in verse 32 of our text, when you look at it carefully, does not refer to all people, but to those mentioned in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams. Your young man shall see visions. And also upon, remember what Peter said in Acts, my servants and my handmaidens. In those days will I pour out my spirit. And so in conclusion, let's turn to Romans 11. We're going to close with this. And once again, Something that we've seen already. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away in godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So folks, we don't have to worry about Israel. But every opportunity that we have, we need to show Israel the love of Jesus Christ. We oftentimes do that when we take our trips there. Many times even our plane trips over, we may be sitting next to some Jewish people that ask us about us going there and it opens a door. What opens the door more than ever that I've experienced is that we tell them we go because we want to bless Israel. And it's, it just seems to stop people in their tracks. You want to bless Israel? Well, they're always told that they're, you know, the aggressors and they're the oppressors. And, you know, they know how the world feels about them. But when believers in Yeshua tell them, we love you. 
We want to bless you. And we respect the homeland because it's God's land to, to you. And in, in, in effect to all who are believers and children of Abraham, as we are by faith in Yeshua, in Jesus.